Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. Parshat Ki The weeks keep flying by. Amazing. Parshat Ki this morning we're going to uh, have a shear. And the shear's title, if, you're, if you've uh, logged in on the website or if you're looking at SoundCloud, is um, it has never happened and it never will. I was thinking about giving this Shira title a very naughty boy because that's what it's about. Ben Soirer Umayre. I've never given a Shira on this topic before. I've spoken about it in Drushas, but we're going to talk about probably the most confounding, mystifying mitzvah in the whole Torah. Not just because in and of itself it is mystifying. But because, apparently, according to the Talmud, according to the Gemara, it never happened. It is something that never occurred and it never will. What exactly does that mean? And even that has its doubters or a story to confound us even more. So we're going to look at this mitzvah. It's the third section of the very earliest part of Parshat Kitetse. If you look, look at your source sheet, and once again, let me remind viewers and listeners, you can access the, sh- uh, the source sheet. It is a link um, in the, uh, either on YouTube or on SoundCloud, or if you're on my website, there's a link there which takes you to the source sheet. If you're now listening live on Zoom, uh, the source sheet is in the comment section. Um, uh, of the of the zoom so you'll be able to access the source sheet that way and just again a reminder to everyone that if you are watching this on YouTube please if you can possibly um, subscribe to my YouTube channel all you need to do is pass your mouse over the bottom right hand corner of uh, of the screen you'll see a little icon with my face on it click on that icon and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel and get regular updates on videos that we post on the channel. Let me read you the psukim that deal with this concept of the very naughty boy. The Ben Soirer Umayre. Listen carefully. It's in Dvarim and it's um, uh, chapter Chof Aleph, Perik Chof Aleph, Posuk Yudches. Posuk Yudches to Chof Aleph. Ki yiel ish Ben Soirer Umayre einenu shamea bekoil oviv uvekoil imoy. If there is a man, if, if there is to a man, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, that's a Ben Soirer Umayre, is a stubborn and rebellious son that will not listen to the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. The Yisru Oisai, the Yishma Alehem, and they tell him off, and he still doesn't listen to them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Any one of us who has children has been through this experience before. Can you imagine such a thing? You tell your child to do something and they don't listen. Sounds quite annoying. It sounds like a, a, something that will happen in most households across the world. Let's see what happens here. The His father and his mother should grab a hold of him and they should bring him out to the elders of the city, to the leaders of the city, and to the gate of his place. And after having dragged their errant son out to the elders of the city, they should say to them, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He doesn't listen to our voice. Now we have a bit of a new addition here to his behavior. He is a zoilel, a glutton, and he is a soive. What's a soive? A drunkard. Interesting. Okay, I mean, uh, you know, perhaps a little bit more delinquent than some of the problems that we've had to deal with over the years with our own children. But nevertheless, we're not talking anything major here. We're not talking about a child who has caused someone else grievous bodily harm or chas a murderer. 
We're talking about somebody who eats too much and drinks too much. Anyway, what should they do with him? Now we have it. Here's what the Pasuk says. All the members of the city, the citizens of the city, should stone him with stones, with rocks, vames, and he should die. What? Really? He's a naughty boy. You tell him off and you give him a hundred lines and you send him to the corner, kill him, you stone him. And this evil should be eradicated from your midst. And all the Jewish people will hear and they will have fear as a result. So we suddenly went from perfectly normal, let's call it educational situation, to something which is so drastic and unbelievable that it's almost impossible for us to comprehend. We have a child who doesn't listen to his parents. Yeah, children don't listen to what their parents tell them to do. That's quite a normal thing. And they take him, because they can't deal with him themselves, they take him to the leaders of the town and they say, we can't deal with our child. Yeah, that's a normal thing to do. When, when you are not able to cope with the situation on your own, you go and consult professionals and they say, but you know what's wrong? He, he never listens to us and not only he never listens to us, he's a bit of a fresser and he's a bit of a zoifer. He likes eating too much and he likes drinking too much. By the way, if that was a crime, there's lots of adults perhaps that we'd need to stone to death. I mean, really? That's what the next posuk says. You take this poor child who didn't listen uh, to his parents, he was a bit disobedient, and then he started drinking a bit and eating a bit. They weren't too happy, and they took him to the authorities, and the authorities sentenced him to death. Come on! Um, are you serious? Is this really the way you deal with a child who is disobedient and is eating too much and drinking too much? Okay. So that's the setup. I'm just giving you the platform. Those are the psukim in the Torah. Let's look at Rashi, because Rashi is the one who's going to give us a bit of a window into the subject and the topic of this shir. And in essence, what Rashi does is he um, summarizes a chazal, and we're going to look in much more detail at the chazal, but first we're going to look at Rashi. Rashi says, Ben Soira Umoire Nehrog al Shem Soifoi. Okay, let's get things clear, says Rashi. Do you know why? The errant child, the errant son, is going to be killed, not because of something he has already done, but because of something that we know and anticipate that he will do. What is that? The Torah is a prognosticator. The Torah knows what's going to happen, can anticipate the future. You know that the Mishnah says in Pirkei Ovis, Anyone who can foresee the future, by the way, you don't need to be a prophet to foresee the future. You can just have eyes in your head and ears that hear and have a bit of wisdom and experience and you can be a prognosticator like anybody else. And the Torah is the ultimate prognosticator, the ultimate um, uh, source of information as to what might happen in the future and this is the paradigmatic example of what we're talking about this is what the Torah understands the Torah understands this child's ultimate disposition in anticipation in the end he will squander all of his father's property and seeking in vain for the pleasures to which he has been accustomed. He will set himself up on crossroads. He'll become a highwayman and he will rob people. He will become a thief. Do you know why? He has no self-discipline and he's only interested in satisfying his material desires, in that situation we know for sure 
what he will turn out to be and rather than allow him to do that we cut it off right now and therefore says Rashi Omra Torah Yomus Zakai it is better he should die as an innocent the Al Yomus Chayav he shouldn't die as someone who is guilt ridden it is much better that somebody should die with as it were a clean slate than that they should die having um, uh, caused so much harm and done so much sin so that's Rashi's explanation what's the question that he's answering the question that we began the shear with which is how is it possible that we kill a child who's really essentially a bit disobedient obedient, and has done something wrong because he eats too much food doesn't leave food for the rest of the family and he's a bit of an alcoholic a young alcoholic you know what we should have sent him to an AA meeting and we should make sure that the butcher doesn't deliver quite so many uh, um, hunks of meat as we're going to see that's what he's eating and then he won't be a Zoilel Vesove and then he won't be guilty of this crime of being a Ben Soire Umoire and then in that situation we're not going to have him executed but to have him executed it sounds so exaggerated says Rashi you got it wrong we're not executing him because he did something that um, amounts to a crime that requires as its only solution as its only punishment as its only consequence execution capital punishment no we are um, cutting off this child's life because in the future he will turn out to be a very evil wicked person you know like these fantasy ideas you know what you know if you would have had the opportunity of as a child killing Hitler of course you would kill him because you would have prevented the Holocaust and therefore even though as a child no doubt Hitler was cute and sweet and innocent nevertheless had somebody managed to kill him the Holocaust would never have happened that's what Rashi seems to be saying we want to present pre prevent I mean obviously he's not speaking in Holocaust terms we want to prevent future crime and as a result we are willing even to uh, kill someone who's never done something wrong i.e. a child a bane soirer umoire are you happy with that solution does that solution make a lot of sense to you do we kill people for things they've never done just because we think that they might do them that's what we're going to deal with today in the share which you're about to hear so let me continue first by quoting the Mishnah because the Mishnah in Sanhedrin I've actually quoted I've, if you look at the source sheet today's source sheet is a bit long it stretches to six pages I'm not going to read through the whole thing for two reasons the first is it will take far too much time and the second reason is not important because the first reason is so important that the second reason is irrelevant I'm not going to go through six pages of sources but I will quote selectively from the sources that I have reproduced in the source sheet the first part is um, source number three if you take a look at it it's the Mishnayis in Sanhedrin the Mishnah in Meseches Sanhedrin Perek Ches and it's Mishnayis Aleph through Hey which deal with the detailed laws of a Bain Soirer Umayra I'm, first thing I want to tell you about this is that there are so many conditions to becoming a Ben Soira or Moira that you quickly realize that it's almost impossible for anyone ever to be guilty of this crime to the extent that you would have them executed. First of all, they have to be of a very particular age group. I'm not going to go into the details, but essentially they have to be before Bar Mitzvah at the age of 12. So it can't be an 8-year-old and it can't be a 14-year-old imagine how many you know we're not talking about teenagers we're talking about a 12 year old and it's a half a year um, uh, time period of being a 12 year old that it's possible to be a Bain Sawyer or Moira that is an incredibly severely limiting uh, condition because you know I, I can tell you that my children and I'm sure in, in your case too they could be disobedient at the age of 14 but maybe they weren't disobedient at the age of 12 so the chances are that before your child becomes a teenager they're not that going to be that disobedient so that is an incredible limitation second thing is the Mishnah says it has to be a son not a daughter how do we know that oh it's very simple it doesn't say bus it says 
a bane soirer umaira, in which case it cuts out 50% of all children. So we've just cut out 50% because it can only be a boy, not a girl. We've just said that it can only happen in a half a year period when you're at the age of 12. And there's all kinds of other limitations. I'm not going to go into it. If you look at the top of page two of your source sheet, you'll see that he has to have eaten a particular quantity of meat and drunk a, particularly, uh, a particular quantity of wine. And it's not just any wine. He has to drink Italian wine. The Chazal clearly were extremely concerned that a Ben Soira Umoira, if you give it a very broad interpretation, was going to uh, result in the uh, um, the execution of a vast number of disobedient sons and, and daughters, potentially, if that was the way you were going to interpret it, is and many, many people would be bereft of their children if they were compelled to report their children to the authorities in a situation where their children were being disobedient and were gluttonous and alcoholic. Okay, so... I just wanted to add that as an introduction. However, I want to just read you, if you look at, on page three, on page two, in source number three, the translation of the Mishnah, so we're going to look at a particular Mishnah. It's Mishnah number four, Mishnah Dalad in Perches of Sanhedrin. And it says as follows, if his father, the Bensoira Umayra's father, wants to bring his son to court, but the mother doesn't want to. Interesting. You have here a disagreement about the, uh, the way forward in terms of the education of one's child. It's not something that's unheard of. Parents don't always agree as to how their children should be educated. You're familiar with that, right? So the father says, right, I've had enough. I'm taking him to the authorities. And the mother says, no, absolutely not. We're not taking him to the authorities. What's the halacha? Says the Mishnah. Um, or, or the mission continues, or if his father doesn't want to take him to the authorities and his mother does, he does not become a ben soira umoira until they both agree, they both want to bring him to the Beisdin, to the Zakanim. Can you imagine that? You need complete and utter agreement. Now, Rav Yehuda says something very, very interesting. He says, if the mother is not appropriate for the father, we don't quite understand yet what that means. We're going to look at that in the Gemara. He does not become a Bain Soira Umayra. If the mother is not an appropriate person for the father, that's what it sounds like. Not an appropriate wife, not an appropriate um, companion, not an appropriate spouse of the father, their child can never become a Bain Soira Umayra. That's what it sounds like. We're going to see what that means. Furthermore, if one of the parents had a hand cut off or was lame, mute, blind or deaf, he will never be a Bain Soira Umayra. Why? Because the Posuk says that the father and the mother have to grab hold of him. Remember what the Posuk said. How can they grab hold of him if they are lame or mute or deaf or blind? They're not going to know where he is. He's going to be able to run away. They don't have that koyach. They have to be in perfect health with all their faculties in order for him to be a Bain Sura Amore. And continues uh, the Mishnah that they bring him out. It can't be a lame person who brings him out. And they shall say, mute people can't speak. This is our son. They have to be able to demonstrate that it is their son. That means they can't be blind. He doesn't listen to our voice, therefore it can't be people who can't speak, can't be people who are mute, etc., etc. And finally, the Mishnah in Mishnah Hay, I'm going to read the Mishnah in the original, uh, in the Hebrew. It says, That's what the Mishnah says. That's, that's what Rashi is quoting, that Chazal, that the Bain Soira Umayra is going to be judged on the basis of how he will end up. Yomus Zakai Va'al Yomus Chayev, let him die as an innocent. He shouldn't die as somebody who is guilty. So, I'm going to continue if you go now to page number three. The Gemara. Let's see what the Gemara has to say about this series of Mishnais. Again, I'm not going to go into the vast and intricate detail 
on this I'm just going to selectively quote bits and pieces because I want to convey a much broader picture than the very technical legal aspects of a Bain Surya or which are covered in the Mishnais and the Gomorrah and Sanhedrin. However, there are some extremely important points that we need to uh, we need to draw out of the Mishnais and the Gomorrah, and they are going to be the foundation for the rest of the Shir. Says the Gomorrah, My Eina Ru'uya. When we said that the wife is an Eina Ru'uya to the husband, she is not suited for the father. What are, what are we talking about? Says the Gomorrah. I'm looking at the translation on page 3. If we say that she's not Ru'uya, why? Because as a result of the, uh, their union, of their being together, they are among those who are liable to receive kores. Why? Because it's an illicit relationship. It is a forbidden relationship. And therefore, she is not suited to the father. In that case, there's no marriage. You can't get married. So uh, we can't be talking about If the Einora Uyo is talking about a, a, a lack of suitability, then they can't be married. And if the union puts them in the category of those who are liable to receive a court-imposed death penalty, right? It's not a non-suited relationship um, for basic reasons, but for profound reasons. For example, you're not allowed to marry your sister. And if somebody is engaged um, intimately with their sister and they have a child, they are liable for capital punishment, right? It's a forbidden relationship. And the based in, if they were brought to based in with witnesses, they would be liable for capital punishment. The marriage, says the, says the Gemara, would certainly not take effect. So we can't, it can't be that the Mishnah means, when it says the words, that type of relationship, says the Gemara. But in any event, why should it even matter that they can't get married or that they're not married? Who cares? What difference does it make? Is the father of the, of the boy the father of the boy? Yes, of course. Is the mother of the boy the mother of the boy? Yes, of course. Your father and your mother is your father and your mother. It doesn't matter whether the relationship was forbidden or frowned upon or wrong. It makes no difference whatsoever. A father is a father and a mother is a mother. And it says in the Pasuk, Aviv ve'imai. So what are we talking about? Says the Gemara. What difference does it make if they're not married? Ultimately, his father is still his father, and his mother is still his mother. And the psukim concerning the ben Mare can still be fulfilled. So what difference does it make? What is the Gemara telling us about Einar-Uya, or the Mishnah telling us about Einar-Uya? So, says the Gemara, what Rabbi Yehuda must be saying is that the boy's mother has to be Ru'uya. This is an incredible interpretation, taking the concept of identifying a Ben Sora Amora and punishing him to new levels of impossibility. Do you know what the word Ru'uya means according to Rabbi Yehuda? It means identical. It means that this boy is identical, uh, this um, wife, the mother of the boy, is identical to the father in every possible aspect. Identical to his father. What does that mean? Says the Gemara. This is also taught in a Brisa. Rabbi Huda says, If his mother was not identical to his father in voice, appearance and height, he does not become a stubborn and rebellious son. So if the mother is five foot four and the father is six foot three, the child will never be a Ben Sora Umayya. What is the reason for this? Because it says he will not listen to our voice. He's not going to listen to our voice. He hasn't listened to our voice. That's what the Posuk says. If you remember, the original Posuk says, That's what the Posuk says. Says the Gemara. What does this mean? It indicates that they both have exactly the same voice. Now, normally, men's voices are deeper than women's voices. A woman's voice is high and a, a man's voice is lower. Sometimes you have a woman who's got a bit of a lower voice. Sometimes you have a man who's got a bit of a higher voice. We say that they sound like a woman or the woman sounds like a man. But the parents of the Bain Soirer Umayra have to have identical voices. They have to, if they speak, 
if they call you on the phone and you're not quite sure it comes from that number you can check on your call ID which number is coming through and you know that it's coming from that number so you know it could either be Mr. or Mrs. but when you hear the voice you can't tell it's Mr. and you can't tell if it's Mrs. because they both have the same voice and since we require says the Gemara based on this Brysa that they have identical voices we also require that they be identical in appearance and height. Rabbi Yehuda takes it to a whole new level of impossibility. These parents have to be, have the same voice, they have to be the same height, and they have to look exactly the same. Their, their faces have to be exactly the same. The Gemara says, whose opinion is this? Who are we going according to? says the Gemara, it is exactly the same as this Brysa that we're about to quote. This is the opinion of this Brysa. There has never been a stubborn child and a rebellious son, and there will never be one in the future. There has never been a Bain Soirer Umayre in Jewish history. It's never happened, that's the title of this year, and it never will. It has never happened, and it never will, as it is impossible to fulfill all the requirements that must be met in order to apply this halacha. The Gemara takes the Mishnah, runs with the ball, and takes the ball right off the field and runs another hundred miles and says, this mitzvah, this construct of Bain Soirer Umayre is an utter impossibility, it is inconceivable, it has never happened and it never will. In which case, says the Gemara, why was the passage about Ben Surah and Moira written in the Torah? Answers the Gemara, so that you can expound on new understandings of the Torah. It's only written so that we can spend a bit of time on the Mishnah and on the Gemara and here in our Shir, that we can talk about Ben Surah and Moira. That in and of itself is a good enough reason for it to be said, even though it only is of completely theoretical value. There is absolutely no practical application when it comes to Ben Surah or Moira. It doesn't matter. Nevertheless, you still have to have Ben Surah and Moira in the Torah because we need to talk about it. That's what the Gemara says. And continues the Gemara. In accordance with whose opinion is this? Says the Gemara, it's Rabbi Huda's opinion because he requires that the parents have certain identical characteristics and this makes it impossible for this halacha to ever be real. Or, says the Gemara, you don't have to say it's Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, it can even be Reb Shimon's opinion. Because, says Reb Shimon, is it just because the boy ate a piece of meat and drank a bit of wine that his father and his mother should take him out and have him stoned? Does that make any sense to you? Of course not, nonsense. Rather, there has never been a Bain Soirer Umayra in history and there will never be one in the future. In which case, says Reb Shimon, why was this passage included in the Torah? Why do we have it? Reb Shimon has a slightly different view than Rabbi Huda. He's not saying that it's impossible to do it. He's saying it is possible to do it. He may not agree with all the qualifications of uh, Rabbi Huda with regard to how you can identify Ben Surah Murray. He just says it's never going to happen because no parent is going to have their, st their child stoned. Is never going to have their child executed. So why is it in the Torah? Again, he says, because we should expound on this idea that uh, there is a Ben Surah or Murah, even if it's only of theoretical value, there's value in talking about it in and of itself. And finally, we have the opinion of Rabbi Yonason, could be Rabbi Yochanan, that's another Gersa. Rabbi Yonason says as follows, this is not the case at all. I don't agree with Rabbi Shimon, and I don't agree with Rabbi Huda. That's what it sounds like he's saying. Although we'll see that possibly there's another explanation for this. He says, it's not true that there was never a Soira or Moira. It's not true. How do I know that? I saw one. That's what Rabbi Yonison says. I saw a Ben Soira or Moira. I was once in a place and there was a Ben Soira or Moira. He was condemned to death. And I even sat on his grave after he was executed. What? We just heard that the Gemara said there never has been one and there never will be one. Rabbi Yochanan said there was one. We're going to deal with that a little bit later on in the Shir. Let's first look at Rabbi Tzodek HaKoyen. Unbelievable. Rabbi Tzodek HaKoyen, as you know, was a Talmud of the Ishbitzer who I quote fairly regularly. 
Reb Tzadik HaKoyin of Lublin. He was in the um, late part of the 19th century, one of the great Hasidic teachers and leaders of Polish Jewry during that late part of the 19th century. He says as follows, he says an unbelievable thing and something that makes sense, actually. Psychologically, if you're, if you're a psychologist, a child psychologist, okay? And I'm going to tell you there's never been a Ben Soira Umayra. There's never been somebody who is a 12-year-old, is a glutton and a drunkard. Says Reb absolute rubbish. Of course there's been a Ben Soira Umayra. It doesn't make sense to say otherwise. Of course there's been a disobedient child who never listens to his parents and who eats too much and who drinks too much and won't comply with the authority of his parents and won't comply with the requirements of him as a 12-year-old child in the world in which he lives. Of course it's happened. So what does it mean when it says it's never happened and it never will? It says... Hashem understands human nature. He can see from the beginning of time until the end of time. He knows what's going to happen. And if something is never going to happen, then He would never give us a warning not to do it. That's a fact. No person needs to be warned not to do something if they're never going to do it in the first place. So if the Torah warns about a Ben Soirer Umayra, it must be that there would be a Ben Soirer Umayra. So what does it mean when the Gemara says it's never happened and it never will? So according to the person who says in Masechah Sanhedrin about a Ben Soirer Umayra, Says of Tzadok HaKoyim. Do you want to understand what the Gemara means? The Gemara doesn't mean it never happened. What the Gemara means is it never happened that there was a Ben Soira Umayra who was brought to the Zikne Ha'ir and was sentenced to death. That's what the Gemara means. Legally speaking, there has never been a case which has been prosecuted where the um, party was found guilty. That's what it means. And even according to the person whose opinion is quoted in Sanhedrin, it's only about the consequences, the verdict, the um, punishment that is due for this sin. There is a condition here that it will never be found. Says of don't imagine that there's never been a child that is disobedient. And of course, present company excluded. I'm not talking to any of the people listening to this year or watching this video. Of course, all our children are perfectly behaved. It's only other people's children who don't behave. But that being the case, we do know cases and situations of other people's children who perhaps would fit the bill of a Bain Sura or Moira. Says Ratzodekakoin, you're right, it's absolutely possible. However, there has never been a case where such a child has been brought to the Zikne Ha'ir and been sentenced to death. That's what the Gomorrah means. Let's continue. One of the great educators, and this is source number six in your source sheet, one of the great educators in the period, um, uh, at the founder, uh, founding years of the State of Israel and in the period beyond was a man called Rabbi Yahu Kitov. An extraordinary man. In fact, I've hyperlinked his name on the source sheet. If you click on his name, you can find out information about him. He is uh, an extraordinary person, and I would encourage you to look uh, um, look into the details of his life and to find out more about him. He says as follows: Omru Chachamim, the great and wise sages of the Jewish nation said as follows it has never been that there was a Ben and it never will be why would that what, what would be the purpose of writing it in the Torah if it's never been even if you're saying according to um, uh, Tzodik's version but why bother including it in the Torah 
says the Gemara, Mishum Durush V'Kabel Schar. The reason why we have Ben Sura Umara in the Torah is so that you should learn about it and that that will give you schar, that will give you merit. That is beneficial for you if you learn the Ben Sura Umara Halochus. First of all, by reading the Psukim in the Torah and then by reading the Mishnais in Perches of Sanhedrin and reading the Gemara in Daf Ein Aleph in Maseches Sanhedrin Talmud Bavli. Says Rabbi Yochitoyv. What does it mean? Kaloima. Why is it that it never happened? He says one is contingent on the other. As a result of this parsha, this passage being included in the Torah, the Doshim Ba, and as a result of this instruction by the Gemara that tells us that we need to look into the details of this halacha and know everything about a Bain Surah Musa, and as a result. We take on board the lessons that can be taught as a result of the information that is contained in this mitzvah of Ben Sora Omere. Shoimim direm ve'enam boim lidei hadova harahazeh. As a result of that, it's never happened because we've taken on board all the lessons of Ben Sora Omere. This is a powerful Musa lesson that there are things in the Torah which are simply there to tell you about the dangers that could happen, even though they will never happen once you learn these lessons about the dangers that could happen. It's like when you tell your child, don't run into the road. Most people's children, once you tell them, don't run into the road, it's extremely dangerous. There's cars that come whizzing past, they could run you over. Their children never run into the road. So the value of teaching that lesson, of learning that lesson and then teaching it, is that it will never happen. Says Rabbi Yochitoiv, why include a parsha in the Torah which is so drastic if it never happened? He says, no, no, that's the whole point. The fact that it was included was there to tell you that you should be extraordinarily careful with your child to make sure that he never becomes a Zoyla of a so he's not judged to be a Ben Soyer or Moira. And therefore, it never happened because this parsha was included in the Torah and that in and of itself becomes the merit, the reward for having looked and learnt um, about this mitzvah of Ben Surah Moira that is what the Gomorrah means the drush, the kabbal schar is look into it in greater detail and then get the merit is the merit will be your children will never be a Ben Surah Moira now let's look at Rabbeinu Bachia and he says something very scary, but it's particularly appropriate. It's apropos for Elul. We're now in the month which is leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yom Hadin. We are going to have um, the uh, Yemei Hadin, Aseris Yemei Teshuvah. We have to do Teshuvah. Says Rabbeinu Bachia as follows. The Imkain. We need to understand, says Rabbeinu Bachya, why it is that the Torah would have included a parsha that has no practical relevance to our lives. Says Rabbeinu Bachya, do you know why? This was part of the incredible wisdom of the Torah. We need to understand how much we need to have um, uh, that Hashem loves us. How much does Hashem love us? Have you ever thought about that? You know, Hashem loves you. We have a, uh, a sticker on our refrigerator at home which says, Hashem loves you. We don't talk about it enough. You know, in Jewish life, we tend to talk a lot about how to observe halacha, and we talk a lot about all the negative aspects of Judaism. We talk about the intricacies and details of religious law. And we forget that we're only keeping mitzvahs because we love Hashem and Hashem loves us. We should wake up in the morning and when we say, What we should really be saying is, Hashem, I know how much you love me. This mitzvah, says Rabbeinu Bachaye, is there to teach you how much Hashem loves you. How do we know how much Hashem loves us? Because... The punishment that's due to Abayn Surah al Moira never happened. And he explains, There is no greater love in the world 
There is no greater love or affection or emotional attachment in the world than the one that exists from a parent to a child. That is a fact. I don't care what anyone ever tells you. The love that a parent has for a child, that unbreakable, unshakable, immutable bond, is something that's more powerful than any other emotion on the planet. You can be incredibly in love with somebody and marry them and live with them for many years and then get divorced and that love has disappeared. As a child, you love your parents, but somehow then you go on and lead your own life and then your parent is gone. It's not quite the same as the love and the devotion and the devoted attention and the focus, uh, emotional focus of a parent to a child. That is the most powerful love of all. That's what Rabbeinu Bachaye says. The kivun shaben over our mitzvahs Hashem Yisale. And even if the child is going to go against the um, uh, uh, mitzvahs of Hashem, he's going to do something which the parent cannot possibly fathom, understand, tolerate, or whatever it is. Now, really what they should do, imagine that we have a child that's an errant child, disobedient, as I said earlier on, a very naughty boy. What should you do? You should take them to the authorities, but you know what the result is going to be, says Rabbeinu Bachai. What's, what's the result going to be? You take them to the authorities, they're going to get into a lot of trouble, and then it could be actually that they're going to be sentenced to death. Which parent would ever do that to a child? sentence their own child to certain death. It's impossible. That's why it never happened and that's why it never will. That's what Rabbeinu Bachai says. Now you understand the love that Hashem has for us. How many times have we let Hashem down? How many times if it would happen to us that Hashem would sentence us to death or to some dreadful punishment for the things that we've done that if we were honest with ourselves, we would say, Hashem's right. We did something terribly wrong and we deserve this punishment. Has it happened? Has it happened to you? I think it's happened to people, right? It's happened to us. That we know that we've done wrong by Hashem. We haven't quite carried out all the things that Hashem wants from us in our mission as His chosen people, as His chosen individual. He put our individual neshama on this world. So how come it never happened? How come last Rosh Hashanah we davened? Maybe we didn't daven with proper kavana when we said tshuva, tefillot, stoka, mavir, nisrei, hagzera. Maybe Yom Kippur we weren't, you know, we weren't as focused on our davening as we should be. And here we are. It's almost Rosh Hashanah again. Has anything happened to us? No, we're okay. I'm still alive. I've still got everything I need. I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. I have my family. How come? How did that happen? You know why? Because Hashem loves us. It should teach you the mere fact that it has never happened that there has been a Ben Surah Amora is there to teach you how much Hashem loves us. Just as much as we know a parent loves their child that they will never take them through the authorities and have them sentenced to death, that is how much Hashem loves us. It should compel us to deepen our relationship with God. That's what Rabbeinu Bachai says. It's an incredible idea. If that was the one idea I was going to convey to you today in this shir, it was worth giving this shir. That the whole mitzvah ben Surah Umarah is there to teach you how much Hashem loves you. That's why it's there. I'm now going to read you a piece which I saw online by a man called Yuval Linden. He is an educator. I don't know him, but I know that he takes gap year students in Israel, to Is Americans to Israel, and he teaches them um, what they need to know in order to uh, strengthen their Jewish identity. Many of them come from reform and conservative backgrounds, or even less completely secular backgrounds, who you know have not got any real connection with Judaism, and he teaches them about Judaism. And this is what he writes. He's been an educator for many, many years. And he says, I've titled this in our source sheet, A Lesson for Educators from an Educator. With regard to Ben Sora Umayyah, one encounters an age-old educational challenge. The wayward and rebellious son, personally, he says, 
I always find the idea of a Bensura Mara absurd if one reads it literally. Here is a child who disobeys his parents, the authority figure in his life. What do they do? They take him out to the town square, they announce his deviant behaviour and stone him to death. Isn't that taking things a little bit too far? This child is testing boundaries, butting heads with the authority figures in his life, rebelling a bit and acting out. He didn't hurt anyone. He didn't kill anyone. He just ate and drank excessively. Is there a teenager who doesn't do that at some point in his or her life? And still, the Torah commands the parents in the community to stone him to death. Says Yuval Linden. Listen carefully to what he says. I'm all for using consequences to get results in order to educate a child. But does anyone really think this is a proportional punishment? It's a rhetorical question, right? It's the question we dealt with right at the beginning of the year. Of course it's not proportional. Says Yuval Linden. The sages of the Mishnah also struggled with this challenging passage, which they explained as follows. The wayward and rebellious son is judged on the basis of his end. He should die innocent and not liable. Which means that he's not sentenced to death due to, to what he's done, but due to the things that he will do in the future. And since the wayward son is expected to do horrible things in his future, it is better if he dies now as an innocent man rather than to die guilty as a guilty person in the future. Now, of course, the sages of the Mishnah are trying to help resolve this problematic passage, but their solution is also troubling. After all, since when do we punish someone for future actions? What about the presumption of innocence? What about due process? What about free choice? Isn't that the purpose of human creation? And even if we say that this concept, this idea, this mitzvah, this situation of Ben Sura and Murray never happened, what are we meant to learn from this biblical passage? Beyond the unfulfilled threat over the wayward son, what is the lesson for educators back then? And what is the lesson now and for the future? The basic concept, says Yuval Linden, that I can relate to as an educator is that one must educate now while keeping an eye on the basis of his end. I'll shame soifoi, meaning educate in such a way that one is always looking towards a person's future. Just as you need to believe in them and see the positive potential within them, you must also demand that they work on and change their negative and harmful habits. It is not enough simply to give them information and to tell them what's right. You must also make sure to, that they are not going to do wrong. If we don't teach the wayward child who drinks in excess to moderate their behavior, listen carefully to what he says. We will probably find that they will drive under the influence when they grow older. If we don't educate our sons to be respectful of women, we increase the risk that they will be involved in sexual misconduct in the future. Powerful words about our role in life as educators. Let's look at Rabbi Yochanan's Zweig. He is source number nine in your source sheet. When Hagar and Yishmael were dying in the desert of dehydration, an angel appeared to save them. And Chazal explained that on that day, Yishmael did not deserve death. Ba'asher Husham, that's a posuk in the Torah, as he was then, he didn't deserve death. The angels, however, the Malachim objected as they wanted to take into account the wrongs that Yishmael's children and descendants would perpetrate against the Jews in the future. But God asserted that Yishmael would only be judged for his deeds until that day. How can one reconcile this Chazal with a Ben Sura Umar's punishment for sins he has yet to commit? Says Rabbi Frand, says Rabbi Zweig, because it is the Ben Sura Umara. Perhaps it's because the Ben Sura Umara that's depicted in the Gemara is the product of an impossibly perfect childhood. He had everything that a child could ever want. He had a perfect set of parents. He had perfect circumstances. And yet, with a clear mind and heart, he freely chooses to misbehave. 
His circumstances prepared him to make all the right choices, but he opts to lead a rebellious life anyway, and therefore there remains no opportunity for him to rectify his ways. Conversely, on the other hand, Yishmael did not inherit such a simple lot. Think about it from Yishmael's perspective. Perhaps he had a bit of a confusing home situation, a tense relationship with his brother, and that left Yishmael with a lot of baggage and a touch of trauma. Yishmael, as opposed to the Ben Soira Umayra, is the paradigmatic example of a real person, just like us, just like you and me. And just as God judged Yishmael, Hashem judges us based on where we are today. But Asher Husham, that's the lesson of Ben Sora Umayra. None of us had perfect circumstances and therefore we have to muddle our way through life while leaving us the opportunity to do Teshuvah in the future. Now we look at Rabbi Yisrochah friend. He quotes Rabbi Yisrochah Salanta. This week's Parsha, he says, has the very peculiar mitzvah of Ben Sora Umayra. And the requirements for achieving the status of Ben Sora or Meira are staggering. The Talmud, the Gemara teaches us that the window of time is very short. It's just, I told you, half a year when you're at the age of 12, he has to steal a particular amount of meat and drink a particular amount of wine. The Gemara even infers from the Psukim that the parents have to be exactly the same height and appearance and have the same voice. And because of all of these requirements, the Gemara concludes that a case of Ben Sura Meira never happened and it never will happen. So the Gemara says, in which case, why, why do we include this mitzvah in the Torah? What's the point of having it at the beginning of Parshat Kiseitse? Says the Gemara that you can expound upon it and then you can receive schar, you can receive a reward. Rabbi Sral Salanta wonder, wonders exactly what this means. After all, isn't the Torah big enough? Don't we have enough mitzvahs in the Torah? Without this particular law or laws with regard to Ben Surah or Meirah, don't we have enough material to learn, to expound on? What do we need the extra schar for? It's fine, we don't need Ben Surah Meirah, we can do away with it. It never happened, it never will. That's fine, says Rabbi Shroh Salanta, so why have it in the Torah? He says, this is what Rabbi Shroh Salanta says. He says a person could live for a thousand years and still not exhaust the potential for deriving reward from Torah study. Even if you excluded the four psukim in Parshaski Tzetzei, that tell us about Ben Sura and Meirah, and even if you excluded the seven pages in Sanhedrin that deal with the Ben Sura and Meirah, we don't need it. We've got enough material. Why add material? Josh Mekabel Schar, Mekabel Schar. What do we need it for? We don't need it. Says so Rabbi Sral Salanta, that the chapter of Ben Sura and Meirah teaches us a unique and profound lesson. Torah Lishma. Learning for learning's sake alone without any application to the real world whatsoever. It's worthwhile in and of itself just to learn Ben Surah Murrah, knowing that it will never have any relevance to anyone's life ever. Certainly the purpose of learning is to bring one to action and there is value in being results oriented. However, we should not think that the whole point of learning is to know what to do even if something will never be practically, practically relevant, there's still value in just learning the word of Hashem. There are other esoteric areas of halacha that may not be relevant in our time, korbonas for example, and they're not going to be relevant some of them for any time. That's also possible that some of the things that we learn may never be relevant again, even if Moshiach comes for the overwhelming number of people. For example, if you're not a Kayin, why should you learn about all the different things that you have to do as a Kayin with Truma and with, uh, with Korbanus? What's the point? You never, it's not going to, even if Hashiach comes, it's not going to be relevant to you. However, all other areas of Torah are at least at some point theoretically relevant to somewhere in some place at some time. But the Torah nevertheless found it necessary to give us at least one halacha when one could be absolutely certain, absolutely sure, that it would never be relevant. No one will ever tell an orthodox rabbi, I have a Bain Soirer Umayre for you and I want you to have him sentenced to death. It's never going to happen. The point the Torah is trying to make is, learn it anyway. The lesson to be derived is the lesson of Torah learning. The intrinsic purpose 
of Torah learning is to study the word of Hashem. Its benefit is not dependent on practical application. And finally, let's look at the Minchas Osher. Whose grave was Rabbi Yonason sitting on? Maseches Sanhedrin says the Minchas Osher, Yeshna Machloikas, there is a difference of opinion. Hagmara Mavia Shitois to Noim Hasoivrim, Shedim ben Sorer, Loi Hoya, Me Oilam Begam Loi Osid Liois. There are a bunch of opinions there that say, we know Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Shimon, say that there was never a ben Sorer, Mur, and there never will be. Lumasam, Muvoim de Rabbi Yonason. And then we hear the words of Rabbi Yonason, on the other hand, who says, Shekavea, Anira Isiv Yoshavti Akivroi. I've seen a Bensura Mura and I sat on his grave. And it's important that we understand and look at the words of the Chasam Sofa in connection to these words. If there was a Bensura Mura who was executed, he says, Do you know why it is? that a Bensura Umara was never executed because then all the ordinary folk would have protested about the laws of God. What is it that this poor young fellow did that he should get um, executed? It will come another day and he's going to be a good boy. Now he's a naughty boy, but don't worry, naughty boys become good boys. By the way, I'm one of them. I don't want to say I'm a ben, I was a Ben Sura. I hope I wasn't. But I wasn't so perfectly behaved in school. And the teachers used to tell my parents, we don't see any hope for young Pinny. And here I am today, hopefully not quite as bad as the, all the predictions. So what is it? How is it that we would ever execute, says the Chasam Sofa, an errant child, a naughty boy, on the basis of what they are now? Surely in the future they're going to improve. Arcane Kosva Torah Dinosh Ben Sura so what is it that underpins, that um, explains the inclusion of this mitzvah ben Surah in the Torah? Because we know that Hashem understands the future. The concept of a ben Surah is not what's now, it's what is in the future. Not that he's going to improve, but that he's going to get worse. But nevertheless, the Torah um, made it contingent, made it conditional on many, many different conditions. So that we know for almost certain that it will never be possible for any one individual to be included in this, uh, in this uh, um, uh, definition of a Ben Surah And specifically this Tanai. Listen to the Tanai, the Minchas Osher mentions. That if his mother doesn't want him to be taken, remember what I, I highlighted that at the beginning? That if his mother doesn't want him to be taken to Beijing, can never be in Ben Surah can never be judged. Both parents have to agree. Who is it that one might think of? So remember, just before in Kiseitse, we're talking about a woman who, somebody in war, fancied and wanted to get married to and had them converted to Judaism. That's what we're talking about. Their child could end up being a Ben Surah Murrah. Well, such a mother is never going to want to take their child. They're not going to see them as bad or potentially bad. Certainly she will never want that child to be brought up in front of the authorities. Here is the key. And like the mother of Absalom, who is Absalom? Absalom was the son of David HaMelech who rebelled against his father and caused his father incredible difficulty. It was a rebellion he fermented against Malchus based David. He wanted to be the king even in his father's lifetime. Who was his mother? His mother, well, she wasn't of the finest stock. And of course, he was someone who rebelled, who became evil. Even if as a child, maybe he was just a naughty boy. By the time he became an adult, he was an evil adult. In the end, he became an evil individual. 
and he did what he did, and the things happened as they happened. Wouldn't it have been better had he been killed when he was a child? As I said earlier about Hitler, wouldn't it have been better had Hitler been killed as a child so that the Holocaust would never have happened? Wouldn't it have been better if Absalom would have been killed so that he wouldn't have caused all this anguish and difficulty for Malchus Beistovid and for the Jewish people? But he wasn't killed and he did get older and he did become evil. Wouldn't it be better if all the criminals could be identified in their youth so that there would never be any criminal behavior when people get older? But from this we can see the absolute truth that underpins our holy Torah. And this is what Rabbi Yonason says. You know what? Yes, it's true that a Ben Surah never happened. And Absalom was never killed, but he should have been. What is he saying? I sat on the grave of Absalom. And wouldn't it have been better had he been killed when he was a child? Rather than being killed, having to die as um, a guilty party when he was an adult. That's what he's saying. He's talking about Avsholem. He was sitting on Avsholem's grave. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I hope you'll join me in an hour when I'm going to be giving my share on Pirkei Avot, or if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on SoundCloud, please make sure to listen to the Pirkei Avot share that I am about to give. It's the first Mishnah of the second Perik of, of Pirkei Avot.